Good morning. You know, preaching always sounds like a really good idea like a month ago when you're asked. Uh, I do enjoy it. I do enjoy the process of studying, but it's never easy. I, I think I kind of like coaching because then when the players mess up, you just make them feel good, but you don't have to take any responsibility over it. Um, and the other thing I hear a lot is like uh, from my minister friends is, well, it's just like riding a bike. And I'm like, you clearly didn't have as many bike wrecks as I had. Because uh, that phrase has never been comforting to me when people, it's just like riding a bike. I'm like, yeah. I wore a lot more band-aids when I was riding bikes than I do now for the most part. So I am grateful to be with you, but this is uh, always a daunting uh, journey uh, to try to offer up something of what it might be that comforts and challenges us, in, uh, especially in this uh, season of Christmas. Um, and so humbly I come before you today, gratefully come before you today uh, to share with you uh, the text from Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23. Um, so listen for God's word today. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, He was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken to the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what has been spoken to the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, I remember the first, I don't know the first time I ever heard this story, but I remember being a young person, much like those that I shared with this morning in the children's sermon, and hearing about the flight to Egypt. That was what this story was called. Now, some people also call this story the slaughtering of the innocents. But in the South, we don't really, we like a PG version, you know? So we don't really, we, we tend to stick with the flight to Egypt. It just sounds a little bit more accessible. And my image of this when I was a young kid was I had this image of Jesus and his parents flying to Egypt, like in a 747 or something like that, you know? And it, I remember being like young teenage years before going, you know, that's really not how it works, apparently. 
And uh, so that was kind of this funny thing that I had in my image of this text. But then I've also thought over time how this text is a little bit like how I think about flying. So as we think about Christmas and coming off Christmas and all of a sudden walking into this text, so simple a text, um, after the joy of this baby in a manger, I want you to think for just a second about flying. And more importantly, about your first flight, the first time you ever flew in an airplane. I mean, that's an exciting time. You remember that feeling the first time you flew? This is for most people anyway. It was for me. I remember my first time ever flying was our whole family, cousins, aunts, uncles, everything. We were flying to Disney World. So it was already awesome no matter. I mean, I'd have taken a camel there. It had been great. But I was really excited about the flight. And that feeling you have of getting on your first airplane and, and looking out the window and seeing all that and, and just being so excited. And I remember all this excitement, all this joy that I felt, this wonder and, and the power of the plane. But I also remember the moment that kind of comes in this text today where all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're all excited with all your family and then they come over the loudspeaker. In case of an emergency... And there was this bag you could vomit in. Like, that was not something that I was prepared for. And you can take your pillow and use it as a flotation device, which is really interesting when I was going from Birmingham to Orlando because I wasn't sure what water we were supposed to be hitting. Um, so you, all of a sudden, all this excitement turns really quickly into the anxiety of flying because that's what flying is. It's amazing, it's wonderful, and it's terrifying. And also... Over time, flying has become something that I do not enjoy. Like even in college, I flew, I, I worked for this company that would fly me every week to a different place to be with young people and teach about leadership, and it was the coolest thing in the world. And by the age 23, I was kind of done. Like, I can't stand getting on a plane. If I can figure out how to drive there, that's what I'm going to do. Well, so we look at this text. For me, I don't know about you, but Christmas can kind of get that way too. Like, I still love Christmas, but it's a different kind of love. It doesn't have that same innocence that it had like those first plane flights or those first Christmas where you just get to open everything and you can't wait. Everything's just all about the anticipation and excitement. But over time, Christmas becomes also a confrontation with reality because there's people that aren't there anymore. There's fears that we have to deal with. There's the financial implications of what you just spent for the last month. There's resolutions that have to be made because of what you just ate for the last two weeks. And all of that's that sense of humor that God gives us to deal with this, but it also helps us confront the fact that the reality of this text is really hard after all the celebration of the meek and mild child that's been born. The reality is that a bunch of Babies are gone because of God entering into the world. Because a human God and Herod couldn't handle this entrance into the world. And we're left to deal with the reality of that Christmas which suddenly turns joy into anxiety and into fear. And so I'm going to challenge you for just a few moments to think about as we sit here in the joy and the wonder of Christmas that we need to continue to hold this morning, also where are our anxieties and our griefs and our sadnesses 
this morning. What's your reality today, even as you sit by the comfort of this child born God to us yet again? The gifts have been unwrapped. We'll slowly begin to unplug the lights. Our full bellies now prepare for those resolutions. But the promise of Christmas morning slowly fades into the shadow of this new year ahead of us. And we hope against hope that things might be different, just like the promises of our first flights. We hope that maybe we can move into some new space. But we very much have to hear these words this morning. Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So we hear this from the angel, and just not a few nights ago we heard, Do not be afraid. They warn us of possible danger, and then the angels take off. And the families left to not know the arrival or when it is that they'll be able to return home. Only the hope that God will give them a place to land again. The same place as we are in the reality of our Christmases. You see, the takeoff is the easy part of flying. It's the easy part of faith. It's the preparing to land when we don't know where it's going to be that becomes tricky. And we hope that somehow we might respond better than this awful king who cannot handle the new reality that he is forced to deal with. How is it today that we sit here and feel that we might no longer be home? Where, where is that home that we might be longing for? Because the thing is, we get to be comforted by this Christmas story in that God knew very much what it was like not to be home. Even Jesus knew what it was in his very early days, his very early years, to know that the place that he would have to return to, even after the fears are gone, even after Herod is gone, is somewhere different than what his family had planned. When we are longing for home, we are not separate from this Christmas story. We are invited to be a part of it. Herod is threatened so much by the child that he assumes the plane will crash. So he completely abandons any, see, any rich sense of reason, and he just jumps. He orders the death of all the children under the age of two. And we learn that Rachel will weep for her children. It's a reminder to the people in that time of Rachel, the mother of Joseph, and how she saw the devastation of her children over time. Devastations of the Old Testament. But it's a reminder that God overcame that, that God continued to move on. That the plane had crashed for the Israelites before, but they've rebuilt, even if the weeping is never forgotten. That is the fear that we remember in these days, in all days. Fearing the world, fearing flying, fearing those who are different gives the Herods in our world the power to search and destroy. When our fears are placed in those things not of God, we give power to the things 
that are not of God. But when we fear God, when we remember that even in our homelessness, even in our grief, that God remains awesome, we remember that God weeps for these children, we remember that these are not God's first actions that we deal with, or even God's first actions in what Jesus and his family are dealing with, God's responsive actions to an evil coward are that we will continue to fly in our faith. And if we're going to fly, then we're going to have to find out how we are to land. We have to trust that God will make a clear path for us. He clears a path for Joseph and Mary and Jesus. You can hear the words coming from the cabin just as the angel leaves with this second prayer to say, now you can go home. It's almost like saying, fasten your seatbelts and prepare for landing. Or as Joseph hears it, get up. Take this child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. The way is now made clear. Herod is gone, but Archelaus still stands in the way, but we discover that that will not be the obstacle that they might be afraid of. So instead of returning to Bethlehem in the land of Judea, Joseph returns to Galilee and will settle in the town of Nazareth. And you see, the wise men, they have to go home a different way as well, it tells us. But at least they get to return home. Jesus ends up in a different home altogether. And that is the great divide between our flights and this unique flight. We almost always end up at home, even if we are exhausted. But this Jesus, this child, this King, this Son of God, God with us, Emmanuel, even this God has to find a new place to be safe. And if God has to find a new place to be safe, then surely we're okay in the new places that we are called to roam. It's not just about the physical flight of Joseph and his first family or the physical journeys that so often surround our holidays. This season is about the spiritual journey that we are all on. It's about more than a birth. It's about rebirth. The rebirths that happen for us over and over and over again. Because Christmas does not begin on Thanksgiving. Christmas began just a couple of nights ago and it still lies ahead. It lies ahead of us in awkward places. When death is near. When death is past of those that we love, when the lights are not twinkling, when belief is least popular, when kindness is hard, and kindness seems to be harder and harder. When truth has consequences and when grief consumes us, those are the moments when we need and when we most celebrate Christmas. This is Christmas. Now is Christmas, not the day, but the season. The hope that we longed for in Advent was that Christ would come, that God would enter in the world and to change something. Not about those that are different from us, but about us. The challenge of remembering the manger when there is no room for you is what the prophets were telling us about. Because the people failing to surrender to the will of God is what led to God breaking into the world in the first place. And it is them that will eventually be the ones fleeing from the darkness. This is the gift. And are we going to fail to receive it in this new year? Of course we're going to fail. We're going to fail to receive it at times. 
It's why we have communion. It's why we have to come back so we can be remembered and we remember the story again when we forget. We have to be remembered, put back together for we are going to have times that we flee from God. Just, just as the first family has to flee from Herod, we flee in the same ways from God. But the Christmas story reminds us that there is always going to be a place, no matter where we are, where this child will be waiting and the angel will be saying, Do not be afraid, for you have a safe place to return even when the darkness consumes you. God provides a place for you to come home. And I can assure you I am no greater than anyone here at these efforts. My faith withers and fades and doubts consume me. And I find myself constantly searching for home. As if God has not made a place in my own heart. God has already made that place right here. And in the presence of this beautiful child, as our children told us this morning, and yet there's times that that home feels so far away. So we're calling this scripture to do as Joseph was instructed. Get up. Take the child. And go home. I can't help but think of in reading this story this week and in studying of a friend of mine named J.R. J.R. was born uh, in August of 2009. Soon after he was born, his lungs did not respond the way that they were supposed to. Everything was healthy with the whole uh, pregnancy. Everything was going great. But after he was born, his lungs just never developed like they were supposed to. And so he immediately had to be put on a machine. Uh, his mother, in the last year, had um, buried her oldest brother who had committed suicide. She has a younger sister who is a little person with all kinds of health implications because of that. Um, she had an abusive father who had divorced her mom, and she's taking care of her mom. She had been through all kinds of stuff and was a faithful member of our congregation. Finally met this young man that was the love of her life, and here they were having a child a year after marriage, and J.R. was born with this horrible lung condition. And so as pastors, there was four of us in the church. We took turns every day. We were in Tuscaloosa, and we would drive every day to Birmingham, different person, to visit J.R., um, because I had family there, I would always go two days a week. And we would sit with uh, the parents and with Jr. and uh, slowly news would get better and better. He was, he was uh, on a machine and he was improving and things were getting better and better and things kind of leveled off for a while. And I remember being in the hospital in early November and visiting with the family and praying and giving this great story of resurrection and everything I had in my faith. And I remember going and leaving that day and getting up on top of the parking lot at Children's Hospital in Birmingham and just tears rolling in my face as I screamed up at the heavens. And I said, God, you don't get this one. You have to save this child. This baby is needed. We need this child. This family needs this child. If you want me, then you will save this child. And it was three days later that Pastor Durham, I had a staff call me to say, JR's died. And I remember slaying in my bed at home and just bawling and going, God, what is this? What, what, what is this story that you want us to tell? 
when a mother loses a child like this, and I remember going to the funeral and being part of that service and looking at that family in the eye and just a despair that I have no words to describe. And I remember watching them day by day move forward. And I remember watching that father who never really was very involved in church start becoming more involved in faith. And I remember watching and seeing in them some type of depth of anguish and grief that they knew that I did not quite understand that moved forward day by day. And as I remember those feelings and remember those moments, I think this is what happens in this story. Innocence is lost. Things happen because the world is broken that I don't understand and we don't understand. And God says, be Christmas. Be this child into the world. Get up. Take this child and go home. And so at Christmas, we go home. And at Christmas, I see that family continue to practice their faith. And it welcomes me even when I'm discomforted even when I don't know where I'm supposed to go, that Christmas calls us home. Wherever God is for you today, I wish you a Merry Christmas and wonderful flights in your new year. To God be the glory now and forever. Amen.